0: Inspiration. Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziglar wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziglar's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsey. Get ready to listen to one of the best sales trainers of all time. If you didn't know it, Zig started a sales career selling waterless cookware in people's homes. He uses an excellent example of that in this podcast. Listen to the valuable lesson and apply it to your own particular sales situation. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely.
1: Now I got a question to ask of all of you professionals. Is the sales process something you do to the prospect or is it something you do for the prospect? Something you do for the prospect. Now we easily answered that one, didn't we? Years ago, I fought in the ring. As a matter of fact, I fought two years. Uh, The only reason I quit, as a matter of fact, was because of my hands. The referee kept stepping on them. (laughs) But let me tell you, let me tell you, when I was in the ring, before every match, the coach would say, now you go out and explore. You find out. You tend to. You just spar around. Find out where the prospect or where the opponent's weaknesses are, and you exploit them. In football, they tell the quarterback, "Probe. Find out where the team is weak. Exploit it." In basketball, in tennis, all of these things. It's always explore, exploit. Find out where they're weak. Take advantage of it. In the world of selling, we say, "Find out where the opponent, that is, the prospect, is weak. That is, has a need." And strengthen that need by selling them your goods, your products, and your services. Another one of those reminders, right here, is in order. If the prospect has a problem, they want the solution. We need to remind ourselves of that over and over. We are not in an antagonistic position. We actually are on the same side of the table. Now, if in your heart you feel that that selling is something you do to the prospect instead of for the prospect, you're a manipulator, pure and simple. And folks, I'm going to tell you, manipulators will on occasion sell things, but they will never build a sales career. And they'll never feel good about what they're doing. And they'll never gain the acceptance and respect of their peers and their colleagues. Now suppose when, uh, as I explore some questions with you to establish a point that we find out right now just really where your heart is. How many of you sell a pretty good product? Can I see your hand? Okay. How many of you sell an exceptionally good product? Okay. How many of you sell a product which solves a problem? How many of you honestly think that when you sell a product that solves a problem, that you deserve a profit? Okay. How many of you believe that when you sell two products that solve two problems, that you deserve two profits? Okay. Now, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth because, as the late Fred Herman said, that ain't sanitary. But what I do want to establish in your mind is simply this. The more people you help with the more problems, then the more profit you deserve. Is this not true? Okay. How many of you have been in the world of selling for as long as one year? How many of you have still got every dime you've earned since you've been in the world of selling for this last year? I don't see a single hand going up, all right? Now, how many of you have got prospects or customers whom you sold a year ago, two years ago, five years ago even, who are still using and enjoying the benefits of what you sold to them a year ago, two years, five years ago? Can I see your hands? Okay. Now, my next question is, who made the best deal? Who made the best deal? Wasn't it the customer? Chances are excellent that you had already spent your commission or your profit before you left the house or before you left the office or before they left your uh, place of business. And they will use and enjoy the benefits of what you sold to them for years and years and years. Now, what I just did again was establish something. I asked you a number of questions, 12, I believe. Now, had I come out and said to you, yeah, the customer is a big winner, you would have said, well, yeah. But, I mean, I didn't do so bad either. You see, there's a fine line that you need to keep crossing. And so I ask you those questions. I wasn't telling you that they said that the customer got the best deal. I was asking you, and by asking you, that's exactly what happens. Then I led you to the decision. When you're dealing with your customers, when you ask them, then you are persuading because they cannot argue with the answers they give themselves as a result of the questions you ask. Again, that's the reason we have so many questions in this series. Now, there are five basic reasons why your prospect will not buy from you. That's no need, no money, no hurry, no desire, and no trust. Now, because those are so critically important, you need to really explore them in a little more depth. First is no need. Well, let me em- emphasize that people don't buy just what they need. If they did, our economy would be in a shambles. How big a house do you really need? How many clothes do you really need? How many suits? How many dresses? How many skirts? How many blouses? How many cars do you really need? Are you eating more food than you really need to? Eat? How many pairs of shoes do you need? How much vacation do you really need? Uh, How many television sets do you really need? Now, of course, I'm going to answer none. Uh, But, uh, you know, if if you're a television fan, uh, do you really need one all over the place? In this very hotel where I'm in, for the first time in my life, I've been in a public facility where they put a television set in a john. This is the first time I've ever seen it. (laughs) I mean, uh, they really have gone all out in that respect. Now, when the question comes up, what do you need? The answer is we don't sell just what people need. We sell people what they want. Now, how effective will you be at? Well, who drives the nicest car? The man who sells a Mercedes or the man who sells bread? I think that answers the question in your own mind as to who is going to be selling the most of what. In other words, what I'm really saying is very simply that if we had to depend on what people needed, then we would be selling very little. Fortunately, we sell people what they want. Many times when the prospect says no, N-O, they say it because they do not know, K-N-O-W, enough. So no because they don't know. Now, if you will remember, in the prospect's mind, he's got a pair of scales, and he's using these scales to make the decision. When you make an effort for that first close, and later we get into when you should make the effort for that first close, when uh, we get into that area, though, I want you to remember that the prospect has a a pair of scales there. And when he starts out listening to what you've got to say, in his mind, the price is sky high. And the benefit or value is way low. Now, he is not going to give you a big stack of money, in his mind that is, for a little stack of value. Now, there is no way you're going to get the price down to his value at that point. If you do, a lot of bankrupt companies will tell you what happens. A lot of bankrupt salespeople will tell you what happens. So what you've got to do is you've got to change the value of what you're offering by giving them additional information. And we will deal with that at great length before the series is over. So understand when they say no, it's because they don't, K-N-O-W. Second reason people don't buy is they don't have any money. Now, there are some people who really do not have any money. And I don't care how much persuasion you use, you're not going to manufacture. But let me ask you a question. And incidentally, I don't want to disillusion any of you, particularly if you are new in the world of selling. But some people who've said no to you, how many of you had a kind of sneaky underlying suspicion that that dude is lying to you? Could I see your hands? Yeah, (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. A lot of them who say they don't have the money actually do have the money, but they just simply are not saying, I have the money for you. Let me give you a little uh, close. I call it the wanted close, which happened to me not too long after I got in the world of selling. I was up in the little town of Lancaster, South Carolina, In a rural area, the Buford community, about eight miles out of town, headed east. And I put on a demonstration for a Funderburg family. They were chicken farmers. I mean, they raised chickens for a living. I had put the demonstration on, and I had a chance to plunder through their cabinets. They had three or four couples in, and I would cooked them a meal. This was just a small one. And in plundering around the cabinets, I discovered they literally had nothing to cook in. I don't know how they even survived. An old beat-up agate pot there, a a black skillet that, uh, it wasn't the old iron skillet even. It was just a black skillet. Uh, A boiler there, an aluminum boiler without any handle. It was terrible. And I tried, after the demonstration, we normally have made the sale or we've missed the sale, and it's a question of finding out exactly what they need and making the terms or arranging the terms for them to buy. Well, I made the presentation, and I tried for well over an hour to close the sale. Normally, I never stayed anything like that long, uh, but I tried for over an hour. Mrs. Fundeberg kept saying, can't afford it, no money, can't afford it, no money, can't. Sounded like a broken record. That was all she could say, can't afford it. Well, I don't know whether I said it or she said it or who said it, but something was said about fine china. I'll tell you, when the word fine china was spoken, Mrs. Funderburg's eyes lighted up like the proverbial light bird. She said, do you have fine china? I said, "Miss Funderburg just happens to be the finest in the whole world. She said, do you have any with you? I said, you are in luck. Well, quick and a bunny rabbit, I scooted out to the car. I brought my china samples in, and all I had to do was show the patterns and let her choose the one she wanted, and she gave me an order for china without the first objection, and it was considerably larger than the order for the cookware, which I'd been desperately trying to sell. Now, let me tell you something. That lady desperately needed a set of cookware. Desperately. I would suspect, based on uh, their lifestyle and their home and the friends who had been over and everything else, I would suspect that that lady will use that set of china maybe once a year, if that often. But don't ever overlook something. All of her life, she had wanted a set of fine china. And when people find exactly what they want, somehow or another, they're going to scare up the money and make the arrangements in order to get it. Isn't he a good teacher? Zig suggests that any time he is teaching sales techniques that we listen to the information over
0: and over until we have it ingrained in our mind. Then we are able to easily apply it to our situation. Use what you have learned this week. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest.
1: Sigler. Zig-
0: Inspiring true performance.